not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable and well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Salute every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren which are with me greet you. All the saints salute you, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. May God add a special blessing to the reading of His Word. And let us just pause for prayer before we begin our study this afternoon. Father God, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for allowing us to know more about You as You've taken great efforts through love and long-suffering to bring about not only the opportunity for us to learn about You through the Word of God, but also, Father, the gift that was given in the sense of grace that we can receive by faith, that of your Son, that died a cruel death on the cross, and yet, Father, it fulfilled everything that needed to be accomplished for the travesty and the sin that mankind had fallen into. The price was paid full, complete, and is offered to all. Your grace is sufficient. And now, Father, we would ask that you'd take the word today and that you would fill us to the fullest. And Father, that relationally we would never have been closer than we are even this afternoon. Help us to study and to gather not only the information and knowledge, Father, but to infuse it into our lives. We would ask that these things would happen exclusively by the power of the Holy Spirit and that we would be yours completely for these moments before us. And now we honor you with praising of adoration, lifting your name on high, and asking you to accomplish this in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, we've, uh, we took a little bit of a break um, there at Christmas time. We talked about uh, don't miss Jesus. And then last week as we began kind of a New Year's uh, capture in the sense of where's your hope? Talking about having the hope in the Lord. And uh, several weeks ago, or I guess three weeks ago, we were involved in a study, just kind of a breakout as such, talking about, uh, does anyone remember what we were talking about? Nobody remembered what we were talking about. Uh-oh, I was going to finish up today on what we were talking about, but maybe we have to go back and start all over again. That's actually where it all started. That's where it all started. Yeah, and glorifying God. And we talked about a number of ways for us to glorify God, and then there was one that just kind of snapped out at me, and I said, we need to talk about that for a while, because it's the thing that really very few people in our nation, in our churches, across our world that really are, in fact, I'll say it this way, very few pastors get the opportunity to say, Pastor, I want to just share with you that I am so very content. Doesn't happen, does it? When's the last time somebody came up to you and said, I'm so contented? That would be a nobody probably, right? And it's something that is, I think, extremely important for us as Christians and those that love Jesus Christ particularly, that we need to be and should be contented. Correct? If we're not contented, there's something wrong. In fact, quite honestly, I'm going to be sure with this is strong, but I may have said even a couple of weeks ago, discontent is a sin. Whoa, that's out there, isn't it? And it's, 
it's so many ways that discontent actually uh, breathes and lives. But I would like to take, we, we were actually studying the last two times we met in the sense of contentment by itself, uh, encompassing that. We were in Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. And it was almost like setting us up. There was seven ways to contented living. There were seven things we talked about. And, and it's interesting as you study from verse 10 through verse 19, there's actually five more that literally just overpower us. And they're literally, Paul is describing as secrets of contentment. And he's addressing a lot of this to the church at, the, at Philippi. Now, I think one of the things that's really important for us to get some sense of a base in the sense, not only context, but historical things that have taken place. Let, let's start with verse 11 one more time. And then I'm going to ask Laramie uh, to put a, a map up on the, on the, uh, the wall here. And so that we can see some things that have taken place. Verse 10, chapter 4, Philippians once again. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me has flourished again. Wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. Um, and you say, well, what, what is that? What's going on there? <clears throat> well, one of the things that we need to understand is about 10 years have taken place from the time of when... Uh, here we go. I'm going to grab this little deal. Um, there's about 10 years that have taken place since Paul was in Philippi and Thessalonica and in this area of Macedonia. He was there as he, as he started those churches. In fact, if you don't mind, let's go back to Acts chapter 16. I always like to historically and geographically get ourselves lined up with what was going on. It helps us to understand scripture just a little more fully. Uh, Acts chapter 16, and I want you to just pull in uh, to verse 11. Verse 11, chapter 16, Acts. Uh, this would have been on Paul's second missionary journey. It says this, Therefore, loosing from Troas, we came with a straight course to Samothracia, the next day to Neopolis, and from thence to, guess what, Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia and a colony, and we were in that city abiding certain days. On the Sabbath, we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made, and we sat down and spoke unto the women which resorted thither. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshiped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord had opened that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. When she was baptized in her household, she besought us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. It came to pass, as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. The same followed Paul and us, cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. And this did she many days. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. When her masters saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace under the rulers, brought them to the magistrates, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe being Romans. The multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. When they had laid many stripes on them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison, made their feet fast in the stocks. Then at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed, saying praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light. 
sprang in, came trembling, fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And they spoke unto him the word of the Lord into all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized, he and all his straightway. When he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them to rejoice, believing in God with all of his house. When it was day, the magistrates sent the sergeants, saying, Let those men go. The keeper of the prison told this saying to Paul, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Now therefore depart and go in peace. But Paul said unto them, They have beaten us openly, uncondemned, being Romans, and have cast us into prison. And now do they thrust us out privately? No, verily, but let them come out at themselves and fetch us out. And the sergeants told these words unto the magistrates, and they feared when they heard that they were Romans. And they came and besought them and brought them out and desired them to depart out of the city. And they went out with the prison, entered into the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they comforted them and departed. And that chapter is literally about, that last part, is about how the church at Philippi started. Did you see it? On a Sabbath, they went down to the river. There wasn't even enough people really in the synagogue for them to speak to. That's how the church at Philippi started. That little spot now that Paul is literally writing back to that was right here in Philippi. Now, where is Paul right now as he's writing this letter back to those at Philippi? And where would that be? He's in prison. Is that in the prison where? Rome. You see Rome right here, okay? So what's happened now is since that time, it's thought there's probably about 10 years have taken place between when Paul first approached into Philippi and where he is right now in Rome. Now, it's interesting, the whole purpose of Philippians was literally a thank you letter from Paul back to Philippi. And you say, well, how in the world, how did, how did that get delivered? The man I read today in chapter 4 in about verse 15, 16, a man by the name of Epaphroditus, he came and delivered an offering, a thanks, or not a thanksgiving, but he, he delivered an offering, some sense of support for Paul because they somehow heard through the grapevine that he was in Rome imprisoned. And he literally sent this letter of the Philippians, of Philippians back to them through Epaphroditus again. So 10 years have taken place approximately. And interestingly enough, during that time, the church at Philippi was one of the only ones that literally supported Paul in his work. In fact, I want you to, now here's another thing I want us to see. We'll come back to it and play it, play it louder. But let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 because one of the things that you might think, well, these Philippians, they must have been a rich crowd. I mean, they, they, I mean, that's a long ways. Is, is there a legend here, Laramie? I don't see it. It's about 800 miles from Philippi to Rome. So that took a couple of days for Epaphroditus to think about getting there. You also notice it's probably not a straight shot. You just don't get there from there. So you could probably go around. You jump a ship here and go all the way around, or you could go over here and then go across. You see it? It's not an easy trip. 800 miles. Um, some of you may have driven that in a relatively short time, but I'll tell you something. 800 miles on that trip. That was the real deal. No cell phones, no Facebook, because that's probably why it took 10 years for them to find him, right? All of those things that we communicate so easily today, around the world, literally. In fact, I took a call a couple of weeks ago from someone that, there was someone in Kenya that listened to a podcast that was done here on a Sunday and on Tuesday had listened in Kenya. That's how cool we have it today. In that day and age, no one would have known about Paul's whole situation. Now, the other thing that's so interesting is he's writing this, this letter of thank you. One of the things that really drove him to that level of rejoicing, which Philippians is all about, is literally what the Philippians had done by going 800 miles to deliver a gift to Paul while he's imprisoned, literally chained to a guard in Rome. That just lifted his spirits. 
And I want you to see now, as we, so Larry, I think we've got that, that good enough. That sets us a little, a little bit in the sense of context and history. Now, back to verse 10. Uh, we've talked about the time frame of when uh, he had been there, but let's read it again. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care, your concern for me hath flourished again. Wherein you were also careful, that means I, you were caring about, you were concerned, but you lacked opportunity. They didn't know where to send it. They didn't know where to send the gift. Now, one of the first things we'll find in the sense of a secret of, of contentment is the fact of he had confidence in the sovereign providence of God. Confidence in the sovereign providence of God. And you say, where is that in that verse? Well, just think of how he lived life in those 10 years previous. Was he calling around? Was he going crazy looking for support? No, it was literally he was in the hand of God. He trusted the providence of God every second of his life. And that's the only way to be content. That's where you have to start. You must trust God knowing and leading in the direction of where he wants your life at all times. Wow. And that's exactly where Paul was at. He, he did it with a great deal of zest. He was, con- he, he was not concerned with any detail of his life and literally was open to God ordering it through the sovereignty of his God. One of the things I want to be, that maybe want to comp- just talk about for a moment, it just hit me right now, um, in the sense of contentment, let's talk about that again for just, a, let's, re- let's warm up, let's review for a second. Tell me what contentment is, or at the other side, tell me what discontentment is. Oftentimes, what we're trying to see is made clearer by with the antonym of what it is, and it allows us to see the other side of it. Tell me what discontentment is or contentment. Anyone want to try? Go for it. Not all at once. We hate to have you all talk about it. Not having what you think you should have. Now, that would be discontent, correct? Not having what you think you should have. And it's so amazing. That is a profile that fits so many people across the world. In fact, they would be contented if only it would happen and be just the way I think it should be. It would be perfect. It doesn't work that way, does it? That's the interesting part. If you're really seeking to be content, you will unbelievably, 100% of the time, fail to be content. So what's, a, what's, what's another definition that you have? Either one. Satisfied. satisfied. That's, that's, that's really that's a great word to use in the sense of contentment is to be satisfied. Okay? Yes? I think we ought to add what God has given us. That's right. What has God given us? In fact, we're going we're gonna to touch on that in a second. Actually, it's coming down the line is where we are in the regard to what God has given us. And then one of the other things that's really interesting is what do we really deserve? (laughs) That's very true. I mean, if you start to sit back and say, what do I really deserve? That's a little tough, isn't it? But it sets us, excuse me. That's right. In fact, the whole world we find is we deserve everything. We need everything. I might have told you a little story as a Christian comedian. His son came to him. He was about 16. And he said, Dad, I need those shoes, those tennis shoes. They're $125. And his dad says, no, son, you need $125. (laughs) It's amazing. So he kind of turned it around, didn't he? Yeah. And oftentimes what we sense in the sense of need is not anywhere near of what truly are needed. In fact, let's, let's stop for a moment. I'm jumping ahead for just a minute, but this verse popped into my mind. Let's go to 1 Timothy uh, chapter 6 and verse 8. 1 Timothy chapter 6 
and verse 8. And, and just, we'll just start in verse 6, actually, because this is a, a wonderful passage. Of, again, Paul uh, mentoring Timothy. He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Oh, what a fabulous concept. For we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. Verse 8. And having food and raiment, food and clothing, let us therewith content. That kind of shorts down a lot of the need stuff, doesn't it? We're going to be talking about that longer as we go on here. But um, think about the providence of God and and how rich and how wonderful it is for us. Uh, Let me talk about this. Somebody said, I don't know who it was. Somebody said that contentment was satisfied or not satisfied in the sense of discontent. One of the things that we haven't talked too much about, there are some senses of contentment that are not this. We're talking about right now, these moments, we're talking about godly contentment, where God wants you, and he wants you to be content, because with contentment, guess what happens? Joy and peace are yours as well. That's a threefold pact that comes. If, you, if you're, if you're going to get contentment, joy and peace will come with it, because you cannot be content without joy and peace, correct? It, it, it just comes together. It's a pact that comes together. But one of the things that I think is extremely important is I want to take you to a couple passages that there's contentment outside of godliness. And you say, what? Yeah, there is. In fact, um, one of them, and maybe you're here today and you're content, but literally you're not really content with God's best. I'm going to name a, name, a man by the name of Moses. And Moses was, you, you know, in the story, he was, had... Uh, Israelite parents, and it was illegal to have a baby boy that was born and would live. Pharaoh said that the midwives were to kill them all. That sounds a little bit cruel. Well, it was, and it was certainly not of God's way. Well, the parents were pretty clever, and they devised a plan to save their little boy, Moses. And it's amazing. that Now, think about the providence of God for a second now. Uh, another one that's interesting, why don't you read the book of Esther tonight, okay? You ever read the book of Esther? Just sit down and read it. It's a fascinating, I would, a movie about that would be fantastic. Do you know what? The one word never shows up in the book of Esther is God. You will never see God's name there. And yet, the providence, the overarching him working within it is amazing. It is totally blows my mind. Well, here we have this little, we have this, uh, this little basket that they're in the reeds. The baby's inside. And Moses' mother sends his sister, Miriam, to kind of keep watch from a distance. Okay? How would that be? You're hiding your, you're hiding your baby from being killed by a pharaoh. Got that? Did you slip into those sandals for a minute? You talk about tension within a family. Are you there? Whoa! Uh, and sure enough, here comes you-know-who, Pharaoh's daughter, down to bathe in the river. And lo and behold... By just circumstances, by luck, by, I'm going to say by the providence of God, she spots this little bassinet. I don't know if that's the right word, but it's in the reeds. Sounds good, doesn't it? And she says, I wonder what that is. So she walks over and she says, well, it's a little, it's one of the Hebrew babies. She knew exactly. Now, what should have she done right now? Exactly. But you know what God placed through his providence? A compassion that was overwhelming. And she said, a little baby. Now, listen to this now. The little girl, what do you think she would have normally done was to run home, Mommy, Mommy, they found little Moses. No, no. There was a preparation. There had to be something done. She goes over to the Pharaoh's daughter at just the perfect time, and she said, "Uh, excuse me, 
Should I find a Hebrew woman to help care for that little baby? That's a fantastic idea. So what happens? She goes home and gets his mother and comes over and she's his nurse. How great is that? Is that not the providence of God? Have you seen some situations in your life where there's no answer other than this? God made that happen. There is no way Moses should have survived. (laughs) But as the story unfolds, he's raised in Pharaoh's court. And for 40 years, he's there. And he lived, that's, that's a place of pomp and circumstance. But he knew that he was a Hebrew. And he had a mission. Somewhere, I'm sure, God revealed to him that, you know what? I'm going to want you to lead my people out. What was the problem? Moses had his way in mind first. He says, I can take care of this, God. I'll get a hold of you if I need you. And I don't need you right now. I'm going to take care of this myself. And here's a couple of... We have a situation where, of course, the Egyptians were making slaves of the Israelites. And this uh, slave taskmaster, he's starting to whip and to beat on this Israelite. And what does Moses do? He looks this way and that, and he comes out and he, and he kills this Egyptian. Well, got rid of one. That's probably what he said. We're, you know, we're on our way. <laughs> and the next day, literally, there's two, there's two Israelites that are kind of arguing about something. And he says, wait a minute, don't, don't be doing this. This is wrong. You guys are brothers. And they say, one of them, oh, you're going to kill one of us today too? Whoa, now that would get some excitement going, right? In fact, Pharaoh found out about it, and he put a contract out on Moses' life. What did Moses do? He split like a scared jackrabbit, went south, got married to a gal called, anybody, this is trivia, Zipporah. Zipporah. And Zipporah's father was Jethro. And I want you, now I want to plug you in. Now, do you think this is right? Now, he's in the middle of the desert. He's doing sheep in the middle of nowhere. What would you, what, what, what should be, what's going on here? Is this God's best? The answer is no. If he would have done it God's way, he would still be in Egypt. He would still be receiving exactly God's timetable, and he would be waiting there. He would be content with God. He was not content and ran ahead. Now, no one, not one person in this room has ran ahead of, ahead of God, correct? We don't have to worry about that. Uh-huh. We all have, haven't we? And you know what? Then we become what exactly happened to Moses. We're willing to take second best or less than God's best. Now, I want you to watch this as we've described this. Let's go to Exodus chapter 2 and verse 21. <clears throat> In fact, his second 40 years was a time of training to get him ready to, to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. And who knows if Moses had done it God's way, if it might not have been quicker. But it, it, Exodus chapter 2 and verse 21, I want you to see this. Um, let's see. Let's, uh, we need to pick up the context for just a second. Let's go back to um, verse 14. I've already spoken of this, but it'll bring us right into, into the text. He said this, and he said, who made thee? Now, this is the two, let's go back to verse 13. When he went out the second day, behold, two men of the Hebrews strove together. They were, they were fighting it out. He said to them, that, that did the wrong, Where, wherefore smitest thou that fellow? And he said, well, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Intendest thou to kill me as thou killest the Egyptian? And Moses feared and said, surely this thing is known. Now, when Pharaoh heard this thing, he sought to slay Moses, but Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh, dwelt in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now, the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. And the shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. 
when they came to rule their father and said, how is it that they were come so soon to this day? And he said, an Egyptian had delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and also drew water enough for us and watered the flock. And he said unto his daughters, and where is he? Why did you not, why have you left this man? Call him that he may have bread. And watch verse 21. And Moses was content to dwell with the man and he gave Moses Zipporah, his daughter. That's something we need to be very, very careful of. To be content with less than God's best. Now, how do you, Larry, what are you saying? I mean, should have you been, I'm going to tell you, he got locked into the mode and the mold of being content with God's less than best. How do I know? Let's keep reading. Here we go now, and we know that he was there for about 40 years. Now, let's go to verse, chapter 3 and verse 1. Now, Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert, came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And again, I want to say this for just a second. This is so different than what, than what Moses had grown up to be, right? I mean, this is as opposite as it could possibly imagine. Okay? And here comes God. And the angel of the Lord, verse 2, appeared unto him in a flame of the fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush, and he said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I. Now, what? Did you see that? God is calling him, Moses, Moses. And he said, yeah, I'm right here. I'm right here. Uh, draw not hither. Put off your shoes from thy feet. The place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Is there any question about who he's talking with right now? Any miscommunication? Did he get the wrong letter in the mail? No, this is the real deal. He knows who he's talking to. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people in which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them up out of that land unto a good land, and a large unto a land which flows with milk and honey, and unto the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, the Parasites, and all the otherites. Oh, that's not there, is it? Therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come unto me. I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now, what should he say right now? Praise God, finally, I'm ready to go. No. He had become content with God's less than best because his response displays that for us. Watch. He says, verse 11, a God, who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel of Egypt? And he said, certainly I will be with thee. That's enough, isn't it? In fact, it says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, it talks about contentment. Because why? Because God is with you always. That should be the packet. That's the picture. In fact, this morning as I was with my mother in, in a room. As I sat and prayed with her, the one thing I said, Mom, God is right here and he is with us always to the very end. There's nothing more supportive, more convincing of anything other than that we can go forward because God is right there with us, within us. Isn't that great? And that's the same God that said to Moses, I'm with you. And Moses, we've got to keep moving because you can tell. I'm very early on in this study, so we need to keep moving. But isn't it interesting? He 
totally denied that fact of support, comfort, and strength. It's not enough because he had what? Become content in God's less than best. Let's not be guilty of that. Now, he may be having you right now in a set-aside project. He may be developing you. You may be learning things. How many of you love patience? How many of you love to wait in the room? Nobody does, do they? But you know what? There's great value there, but I'm going to say this very clearly. Right now, in Moses' life, the best thing he could have done was jumped up and, God, let's go. I'm on. I want to go with you. I want you to be with me. And he was so content, so indifferent, he had given up. Don't be that person. That's not contentment. That is indifference. That's taking second and third and fourth and fifth best. That is not God's way. That is not God's way. He wants the best for you. Now, I'm going to show you another contentment that is literally evil. Evil contentment. What does that look like? Well, it's probably not even complete contentment, but at the same time, we're going to go back to a, to a, to a, a, a clip in time that the man was trying to appease and bring contentment to the people. I don't know if you know where we're at yet, but let's travel to the book of Luke. No, to the book of Mark. I'm sorry. Let's go to the book of Mark, traveling forward in your Bibles, and let's go to chapter 15. Luke chapter, I'm sorry, I said it again. Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15. We'll start, uh, let's see. Let's just start in verse 7. I know you get the full context. There's another passage you guys should read when you get home tonight. Mark, just read Mark chapter 15. Uh, Verse 7, I'm going to dive in. There was one named Barabbas which lay bound with them that had made insurrection with him who had committed murder in the insurrection. The multitude crying aloud began to desire him to do as he had ever done unto them. And Pilate answered them, saying, Will you that I release unto you the king of the Jews? For he knew that the chief priests had delivered him for envy. But the chief priests moved the people that he should rather release Barabbas, that is a murderer, unto them. And Pilate answered and said again unto them, What will you then that I should do unto him whom you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out, Crucify him. And Pilate said unto them, Why, what evil has he done? And they cried out the more exceedingly, Crucify him. Watch verse 15. And so Pilate, willing to content the people, released Barabbas and delivered Jesus, whom he had scourged to be crucified. Did you see that? There was people that were content that Jesus was being crucified. Now, that is an evil, evil contentment. And by the way, how long do you think that lasted? Not very long. It truly wasn't contentment to its full. But do you see what I'm saying? That's certainly not a contentment we're talking about. The godly contentment will be based on confidence in the sovereign providence of God. Let's go back now. Let's find the second one. The second secret, if you will, from Paul's writings in Philippians chapter 4. And let's look at verse 11. Verse 11 says, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Now, we've already read 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 8, where it talks about if you have food and raiment, that's enough. Be satisfied with that. One of the things that we're not very good at in America, and yet amazingly across the world, how satisfied would someone in the the heart of South America, in the heart of Africa, within places that 
or in the jungles of anywhere, and you would tell them today. Now listen, if we just went in, they said, you'd have to know their language, obviously, but just assuming all of that taking place, you would say, I'm going to tell you something. You're going to have enough food and enough clothing for a week. They would be ecstatic. You mean a week? How about a day? There are people today that got up this morning that have no idea whether they're going to have enough food for the day. For the day. Just immerse yourself in that for a second. Now, we're sometimes worried about our 401ks, our retirement plans, our tomorrows of which we want to make sure we have our investments that are carrying. And by the way, I'm not suggesting that we don't take carefully the things that God has given us. That's not what I'm saying. But do you see how blessed we are? The more we have, the more we want. And that's the less content you will be. We get that? The more you have, the more you want, the less contented you will be. Whoa. That's true, isn't it? It's absolutely true. And so what Paul is saying, listen, listen carefully, you must be satisfied with a little. That's a secret. Isn't that a great place to be? Because if you get more than a little, what are you going to be? More content. Yeah, thankful. Exactly. And thankfulness is a wonderful way to be content. Joy and peace follow thankfulness. It won't ever precede it. If you chase happiness, you will be sorely disappointed. Sorely disappointed. And everybody in your way will be cast out of the way. You can't get... We're, we're, I want happy. I want happy. I, I remember... Uh, well, I shouldn't say I remember. There's, there's lots of opportunities where, where those the rich and famous, and they have tons... Howard Hughes. Do you guys remember him from yesteryear? Howard Hughes? Maybe I predated myself. I'm too, far, too old. <laughs> Howard was a billionaire when a billion was worth a billion. It was a lot of dough, right? He literally lived out the, most of his latter part of his life as a hermit. He was totally removed from it. He trusted no one. There was nothing of which he was... And you talk about contented. The la- absolute opposite of that would have been... And he was a, just as rich and wealthy as you could possibly make him. He cared nothing for others. Oh, I'm giving it away. There's another secret coming up. But let's go to number three. What's number one? Yeah, d- complete confidence in God's promise. Do I need to write that down or are you guys going to get it? You'll get it, won't you? Complete confidence in God's providence. That's number one. Number two is be satisfied with a little. What a wonderful... Now, that's not easily done, by the way, because advertising is set up to drag you in, taking you in, I got to have that. I got to have that. You ever watch TV very much? It's hard to do anymore, isn't it? But if you do, you know what? Every commercial is is telling you, you need this. What, what, What is appalling to me today is out of a normal, I don't know, half hour, an hour program, I would bet in almost every single one that you sit down and watch, somewhere they are trying to sell you a drug of some kind. And the side effects are worse than what you're treating. So you have to buy another one to get that one to go away, to get another one to get that one. And pretty soon, have you, did you see some of the, and this isn't really funny, but you see the end of these things, and, and the list of side effects is longer and more, and it could cause death. Well, I want some of that. And yet it's, you want it, don't you? They've got jingles and they've got music and they've got all this stuff and you're going to feel so good with this. Cars, trucks, you name it, right? They want to sell you stuff because you deserve it. You need it. You'll be happy. You'll be content. And that's a big fat lie. Am I too excited for you today? Uh, Tony, I'm okay with Tony then. Good deal. Let's go to number three. Let's go to verse 12. I know both, this is Paul, I know both how to be abased... And I know how to abound. I know how to be poor, if you will. I know how to be rich. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, 
both to abound and to suffer need. In some of your versions, you may be reading, when it says, I am instructed, it says the secret of contentment. He literally understands that on either side of it, he is content. Now, what is that telling us? Well, if I tell you what, if I wouldn't have been born on the other side of tracks, I would have it a lot better off. If I could just get that car, if I could just get that job, if I could just have that man or woman as wife or husband, if I could just get that piece of land over there, if I could just move, if I could just do this, then I would be content. No, 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 no. Contentment is, listen, independent of circumstances. Contentment is independent of circumstances. You are not a victim of circumstance. Now, circumstances may toughen you up. It may may make you more thankful. It may make you and bring out of you character virtues that God wants to develop. But it has nothing to do with contentment. That seems odd, doesn't it? That's not what the world preaches. The world's deadly wrong. Contentment is independence of circumstance. That is, isn't that good to know? You can't be poor enough to not be contented. Whoa, isn't that awesome? But I'm going to say something. I have to be careful because I, I get, it has nothing to do with circumstance. You just said, Larry, right? But you can be too rich to not be content if that's your sole drive. But there are men and women that are very rich that don't cling to their riches, are not seeking it to be content, that are very content. There was a man, Mr. Letourneau, remember the one that he made industrial equipment, scrapers and all that kind of stuff. He was a man that God blessed rich, massively. And you, some of you are saying, you know, I wouldn't mind being tested with a little more money than I have. Just see how it works out. But I'll tell you what, it's a lot more dangerous to have more money than you're able to handle because it is something that will disappear, your joy, your peace, and your contentment. And I'll tell you something, money's not worth that having if you lose those three. It isn't worth it. It's not worth it. But anyway, Mr. Letourneau was one that God blessed mightily, and he actually came to where he kept a 10%, and he gave 90% of it away. That man was a contented, joyful peace, peace with God and from God. In his, he, he lived an amazing individual life. Do a study sometimes on his life. It was, it was amazing, amazingly gifted. But his perspective was correct. Okay, that was number, what number was that, by the way? Three. Okay. So let's review as we go because it's always good to do that. Number one is complete confidence in the providence of God. Number two is be satisfied with a little. Number three is independent of circumstance. Do not bring the circumstance up. Do not ask the question why. You start asking the question why, guess who's in the center ring? You. And as long as it's focused on you, you haven't got a chance. Not a chance. Contentment will elude you like you've never seen. There's three people at that party, and every one of them is going to be uncontented. It's me, myself, and I. Not one of those in that room will be content when you're pictured on yourself. Let's go to number four. Let's go to number four. Let's go to verse 13. This is a verse that, my my goodness, many people know. They use it. Let's talk about it. Verse 13, chapter 4. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Number four is your strength and sustainability comes from God. Your strength and your sustainability. Now, as I remember in my younger years, which there's more of those now. Think of that. Be careful. Run with me. There's more younger years than, than there used to be, right? 
But interesting enough, uh, as you're younger and you're robust and you're energetic and all of those things that, you know, you just, you're there and you can go and you got it all, it's amazing how you want to go solo. And you hear these stories about self-made, self-sufficient, right? You heard self-made man? I'm self-sufficient. I can do anything because I'm really good and I'm really tough. Listen to some of those athletes. I'm number one. Wow, I couldn't do it without me. I'm really cool. Uh, not so much. Not so much. Self-sufficiency? Really? One of the things that Paul came to, and this, when Paul was writing this letter, he had, he had already written the book of 2 Corinthians. And he had talked about the fact that when he was literally really strong, when he was at the end of his resources, and he was in full-scale meltdown weakness, but that's when God infused, I love that word, I ran across it, I mean, in a, in a big way, that word infusion. We all need infusion of the Holy Spirit. We need to, think with me, how many have infused something today? Did anybody drink tea today? What did you do with that tea? You literally, what did you do with it? Or what's another word, steeped? Steeped, right? Okay. Now, not the steep in the sense of an incline. We're talking about steep. What, what is that? Let's, let's walk through the process because it, to me it fits perfectly how we should really be receiving and letting the strength of God be our strength. Because if you're running on your own strength today, if you're into the seat today, if you're anywhere in the hearing of my voice and you're running on your own strength, you are going to hit a concrete wall and you're going to get smacked. So let's go back. How did you infuse it today? What did you do? Immersed it. What did you, you took your, what did you have? I'm sorry, I'll just pick on you because you're, you're handy. You have tea. Okay, so, so you cracked into the cupboard and you got a bag of tea and you put it in the water, correct? What else? Hot, that's right, hot water. It's got to be the right temperature, doesn't it? Now, it doesn't have to be exactly the right temperature, but it needs to be a temperature of which the infusion is even better. You know, the best way to be infused by the Holy Spirit is to be immersed in the Word of God. Let the Word of God literally permeate you. If you're not going to read the Word of God, the chances of you being infused by the strength, or being infused with the strength of Christ, of the Holy Spirit, goes way down. It's the Word of God that allows you to get all the good out of the Holy Spirit. You're in the right temperature to get everything because it's literally, if we go back to Ephesians, we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 3 in just a second. If we don't, write it down. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 20. You need to almost memorize that passage. It's so incredibly powerful because the Holy Spirit is what strengthens the inner man. That's where you need to get infused. You need to, not the outer man. Don't worry about that guy. We're getting a new one. When you're in heaven, you get a brand new deal. Well, actually, it's not right then, but when you come back, when Jesus Christ comes back the second coming, you get a brand new body. Don't worry about your outer one. I mean, take care of it, but the inner man is the real deal. Get that strengthened. That's what it's about. Get infused. You're the water. The Holy Spirit, pardon the expression, is the tea bag. And all of that steeping, that infusion, is you're getting all the good when you're at the right temperature. That is to be immersed with the Word of God, and you have a blast of strength that is amazing. I don't know if that analogy is really cool for you, but it works for me. That infusion is what you need to be content because it's not your strength. Because if you're operating on your strength, the chances of you being content is zero. Maybe for a second, a minute, a day. And you know what you find out? You find something you can't handle. And that's why you need to be infused with the Holy Spirit. Contentment is yours. Absent from certain... You know, you're finding out some really cool stuff. 
doesn't matter how crummy your circumstances is. I just got an old car. I, I haven't got the right job. Got, I don't have the right woman. I don't have nothing right, so I possibly could not be content. Yes, you can. You can be content regardless of circumstance. You can be content regardless of your monetary situation. You can have more month than there is money. I get that. We all have those opportunities. You know what? That has nothing to do with contentment. If you're depending on your strength, you will not be content. Infuse, get, get an infusion of the strength of the power of God. I, want to go, I don't want to go to Ephesians chapter 3 for just a second because this is so powerful, so rich, and it ties in beautifully with what he's trying to display for us in Philippians. Hold your place. We'll be right back. Ephesians chapter 3, chapter 3, and we're going to start in verse 14 because this is a prayer that Paul is praying for the Ephesians. For this cause, verse 14, chapter 3, for this cause I, this is Paul, bow my knees. He's praying before the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and the earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. That is exactly what I'm talking about in Philippians. Now, we talked about that. We're going to find, can you imagine this? We're going to find the same concept. I want to talk about it right now because we hit it. That strengthening of the inner man, is it according, is it out of his riches or according to his riches? Remember we talked about this some time back? What's the difference? Okay, let's talk about this. Paul, I remember because I picked on you last time, remember? <laughs> if Paul was going to pay me out of his riches, like, we're going to make him a millionaire right now, okay? Paul's a millionaire. And Paul is going to pay me something out of, out of his riches. How much could that be? Now, again, there's no absolute number, but what is it? If he gave me 10 bucks, that's, that's a win, right? He would be paying out of his riches. But I said, no, I, I really don't want to be paid out of your riches. I want you to pay me according to your riches. Oh, do you see the difference? He should probably hand me a check for 25000 That's not a bad idea either, by the way. <laughs> but if he's a millionaire and he's paying according to his riches, do you see the concept? That's why when God says, you're going to get strength according to my power. Not out of it, but according to and that's meant to be really loud and obnoxious because I don't want you to miss that. In fact, now, stay with me for a moment. We're going to come right back to this passage, but I want to see how it ties in beautifully as he's, as he's answering to the church at Philippi this. Watch this. He does the same thing. Let's go back to Philippians. Hold your place. We'll be right back. Philippians chapter 4. Go with me to verse 19. We'll come back to it later, but I want you to see this. But my God, verse 19, chapter 4, Philippians, you all there? But my God shall supply all your need out of his riches? No, according to his riches in glory by Christ. Did you see that? It is so powerful. It is so powerful. That's our God. Now, let's turn back to Ephesians because I don't want to miss the concept of all of this going on. Uh, Paul wants us to literally, he's, he's pray, I'm sorry, he's praying for the Ephesians that their whole inner man would be strengthened out of the riches of his glory by the Spirit, verse 17, that why be that the Spirit that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. That is exactly what we're talking about in the sense of contentment, to being filled with the fullness of God. That power is, that, that's the key, that's the take. But watch, verse 20. This is absolutely unbelievable. And I use it every once in a while just so you don't forget it. Now, unto him that is able to do exceedingly, I'm sorry, exceeding abundantly 
above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Unto him be glory in the Christ, in the church by Christ Jesus throughout the all ages, world without any name. I'm telling you, that is so rich. And you know what? Same basis. To be filled with the, be filled with the fullness of God. How? Through the strength and infusion, if you will, of the Holy Spirit in our inner man. You want, to be, you want to be content? That's where it comes from. Whew. Boy, it feels like I've been working hard up here. Let's go to, uh, let's see, I want to look at a couple other things here. As you're, as you're looking back to, um, let's see, we're going to go there, there, there. That word, let's, let's go back to Philippians again. You're probably back in Ephesians. Let's go back to Philippians chapter 4. <clears throat> that word that we find, in, it says, I can do all things, verse 13, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Christ which strengthens me is in dunamo, to put power or infuse right inside. That's the whole idea, is when you're at the end of your resources, and we could write this, write this passage down, we're not going to go there, but 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and starting about verse 7. And, and Paul is speaking about this, this, this situation where he's been able to view up into the third heaven. He's been able to see things that no one is able to see. And he was given a thorn in the flesh to keep me humble, honestly. And it was from Satan. I mean, you may have something that actually God is using to keep you humble. I'll tell you, there's no better place for us as Christians to be than humble. If you're proud and you're a Christian, God's going to, I guarantee you, he will work on you. He is not going to leave. He loves you too much to leave you that way. Oh, I could be okay with that. No, no, he does not need a proud Christian. It's real quiet in here right now. If you're, if, if, if you're leaning on pride, if you're proud of yourself, then number one, I can tell you what, you're, you're retaining and, and being totally sufficient in your own strength. Can't do that. Can't use it. And Paul, when he prayed for it three times that it would leave him, God said something, my grace is sufficient for thee. And Paul said, then I want just that. Because when I'm weak, then I am strong. That's the exact picture in the sense of contentedness. If you're relying on your strength, you will not be content. But when you're weak and you're at the end of your resources and you're totally trusting in God's strength, contentment is yours because it's not you. It is not you. It's, you're depending upon him to provide what you need. It's, it, it is, it, it's amazing how powerful these concepts are and they bring it to us. Now, the other thing I have to say, I need to interject. I think this is a good spot to do it. There's another thing that's overriding all of this. So let's review for a second. Okay, we got one more. We, and, and those that are counting, we're at number... We've got, yeah, you're, but Jerry's right. We're going to be to five right now, right? So we've got four under our belt. There's one left. You say, whoa, that's not bad. We're doing pretty good today, right? Okay, but let's go back. Let's review again. Number one is... Complete confidence in providence of God. Number two is to be satisfied with a little. Number three is independence of circumstances. And number four is infusion of the Holy Spirit. Or being strengthened, being sustained totally and effectively by the power of God. Okay. Now, one thing I want to be careful of. In those, in those things, in, in overarching of this, is the sense that you must be operating in the will of God. If you're not obedient to the word of God, you know how contented you will be? Not so much. Why? Because you are one of God's kids. 
And God is a wonderful parent. He's perfect. Not all kids are perfect. Because look, look, look at the life of Israel, right? I mean, you've got the perfect parent, God, and you've got Israel. A spoiled, rotten child, right? He spanked them? Oh, oh I'll, I'll never do it again, right? You can just find this rotation, right? Even through those years as they're going through the, going around, you know, going around Mount Saudi, you know? Oh, God, we love you. Oh, well, good. And then, well, we don't need you. Oh, we love you. Oh, we don't need you. And it's just this vicious thing. You know, it happens to us as well. It happens to us as well. But you know what? God will not allow you in that condition to be disobedient if you're one of his kids. He will chasten you. He will make you discontent, which is a sin, which should drive you back to him. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says, He is faithful to forgive them that confess their sin. That's for Christians. So guess what happens? When you confess your sin, he's faithful to forgive. Boom, fellowship is back. If you're out of the fellowship of God, guess what? You're discontent. There's distance. He wants you to obey him. Remember what he said to Saul? Let's, let's see if I can find that. First Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. Now, Saul was big into sacrifices. He ever made deals with God where you say, you know, I'll give you this. I'll give you this. I'll, 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 I'll do this work for you. I'll do all. You know, that's a waste of time. Now, that's not to say that faith, a faith without works is dead because a faith that doesn't work is not a faith. But let's watch this now. Even though it's not to us, you can get an idea in the mind of God. Let's go to first, I think I'm right. First Samuel chapter 16. And verse 7, let's see if that's right. Um, not quite right, but that'll work. Um, let's, let's read. Now, what, what's happening here is actually the, the, the selection of David, but it, it actually plays us up pretty well. Let's, let's actually start here. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. Now, what's happened is... Uh, is you guys know this story? Sure you do. Of course you do. Let's, let's go real quickly. Let me, let me paraphrase real quickly. So who, what's, what's David's father's name? David's dad is Jesse. And, and uh, Samuel has called Jesse on his cell phone. No, that's not true. He, he contacted him and said, I'm going to be in town, and I'm, I'm gonna, I want to I pick a new king for Israel because God told me to anoint someone else. And by the way, this shouldn't really be too public because Saul's still on the throne. He's not going to want another king floating around, right? So it's kind of, a, in fact, Samuel's a little bit disturbed by the whole thing. But anyway, here we drive into drive into Jesse's home, his house, and Jesse's had all of his kids lined up, except one. But anyway, he started, well, who's going to be the first one? Who would be the obvious choice? I mean, he's starting with the, the oldest, right, Eliab. And he says, here, well, here's, here's your king. I mean, he's good looking, he's powerful, he's strong, he's got everything you need, and he waltzes him across the stage. And Samuel, what did Samuel say? That's pretty good, isn't it? Until God said something. Let's watch this now. Verse 7, and we might have to back up just a second. Uh, verse 6, verse 6, chapter 16, 1 Samuel. It came to pass when they were come that he looked on Eliab and said, what, this, who, who, who's that? What do you mean he came? Who is he that looked on Eliab? Samuel. Yeah. Samuel looks on him and said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said unto Samuel, no, 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 no. Don't look on his countenance. Don't look on the outside, on the height of his stature, because I've refused him. Why? For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Oh. Well, sure enough, of course he would, because that's where decisions are made. That's where integrity lives. That's where all the things that make a man that God can use is right there. The outside, how he combs his hair, how many biceps he has, how's he worked out, how stout he is, that, that doesn't matter to God. So what, is he, what do they do next? Trot, 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 trot. They all walk across the stage, and Samuel's got it. Now he said, that all the kids you got? They ain't here. Let's see. 
One, two, three. Huh, somebody's missing. Oh, yeah. Dave, well, David, but he's just out with a sheep. Go get him. What, what do you think the other brothers are saying right now? What are you doing with him? The little runt. What's his deal? That's exactly right. In fact, you know they had a dislike for him from that day forward, didn't they? Well, here comes David. Now, David, of course, you know, he, look, he almost looks like a sheep, right? He's been with them all his life, and he, he's got this little sling, and he walks in. What, what are we doing here? I mean, I, the sheep, I've got to get back to my sheep. I mean, the sheep need me. No, no, just, just Samuel wants to see. Who's Samuel? What's his deal? What's he here for? I don't know. Just, just walk. Just, just go across. And the Lord said, what? There he is. That's the one that I can work with. That's a man after God's own heart. Now, I injected that, but that's the thing that I said. Old Testament, New Testament. Daniel, David was the only man in the scripture that said, he is a man after my own heart. Not perfect, but he was soft and he was malleable. He was somebody that God could use. Isn't that something? That's awesome. Now, why, did he re- why, why was Saul replaced? That's what I'm going to look for next. So let's take our Bibles and let's turn back as I'm seeking. Um, where is this at? I was almost sure. Yeah, there it is. And what verse are we looking for? Where is it at? I'm going to get it. Oh, shoot. Where is that at? Oh, there we go. Here we go. Here we go. Verse 22. That, yeah, exactly. First Samuel 15, 22. Okay. Now, now... Saul is into looking good. He likes to look good before people. He likes to look good before Samuel. He likes to look good. He's just, looking good is the thing. You know people like that? You want to look good? Politically correct? Okay, you guys are playing politically correct right now. You want to get involved in this game, right? Okay, that's okay. So Saul always wants to look good to everybody. God's not into looking good. And he's disobeyed God, literally. He's disobeyed God in the sense of not doing what he'd asked him to do. And watch how he covers his tracks. He says this in verse 22. Oh, let's go. We've got to go back a bit. Yeah, we've got to go back a bit. Um, You got got another Bible reading thing at work. You guys read 1 Samuel chapter 15 tonight too. You won't be. You'll be up till midnight. The Lord, here we go. Verse 18. Let's just do it this way. Verse 18, chapter 15. The Lord sent thee on a journey and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil, didst evil in the sight of the Lord. Now watch. He's been, he's been literally, Samuel has pulled him right up and said, You didn't do what God said. Saul said unto Samuel, yeah, Yes, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone the way which the Lord sent me and have brought back Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. The people took of the spoil sheep and oxen and the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice on the Lord thy God in Gilgal. It's not me. It's the people. Where did, what, what do you call that? The blame game. And where did that start? The Garden of Eden. Adam says, you know, let's be honest, God. Did you eat of the tree, Adam? Did you really eat of the tree? Well, for heaven's sakes, God, it's the woman you gave me. So it's God's fault, right? Eve, okay, Eve, well, it's the snake's fault. Do you see it falls through? Now, no one here in this room has ever blamed anyone else. for their... It still works, doesn't it? It still works. Now, what did we just say about being contented? Regardless of circumstance. Regardless of circumstance. Now, let's keep going, though. Watch this. We're going to find out what God really wants. He's not into sacrifice. Samuel said, 
Verse 22, hath the Lord as great a delight in burnt offerings as sacrifices in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. Oh, that's a big statement. That is a huge principle we need to get a handle on. God loves obedience. You want to be content over the whole arching thing as a sin. If you know something's wrong in your life, ask for the power of God to be infused with the Holy Spirit to take away and to obey the thing that's hindering you from being content. And he, he, by the way, he has a way of doing that. Have you ever, have you, ever you know, he knows how just to touch that spot? I, 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 now, there, there's a little bit of a problem. There's two Larrys in the room. But I'm not talking about Larry there. I'm talking about Larry up here. And God has a way of just sticking that finger right on that spot and says, Larry, remember? I, I really, no, I can't. Larry, oh, yeah, I got it, right? And, you know, that, you got to deal with that. You need to obey him in what you know he wants you to do because therein is contentment. Okay, that was a little bit of an off. We went down that little rabbit trail. It was a long rabbit trail. Now, I want you to come all the way back to the bush, and we got one more that we want to talk about. One more. We find it back in Philippians chapter 4. Let's go there for a second. Philippians chapter 4, and we'll look at the last one. Uh, verse 14, notwithstanding, in other words, oh, stop, wait, stop, stop right now. That, that's crazy, right? Okay, now we know because I told you, these next few verses are talking about the fact that the Philippians sent a gift to Paul through Epaphroditus. Now, what has Paul just told them? Review the four things. I'm content. The secret is I have full confidence in the providence of God. I'm satisfied with little. Doesn't matter about my circumstances. I mean, I'm in prison. I'm chained to a guy, and he's kind of a loser. But nonetheless, I'm okay because I'm in God's hands. And number four, I have been infused with the power of God. And you know what the Philippians would say? Then why in the world would we have sent you a gift? You didn't need it. Right? You say, really? Yeah, that's exact. Wouldn't you get that? You're saying, well, I'm content. I don't need anything. And they say, well... We just sent Epaphroditus 800 miles. And if you read in chapter 2 of Philippians, you'll find the guy nearly died. And you say, what? what is that about? That's why he's saying, notwithstanding, regardless of these things, now I want to talk about you. I want to talk about you Philippians. Watch now. Verse 14. Notwithstanding, you have well done that you did communicate or to gift me with my affliction. You have communicated. You had cared for me in my jailed condition. Now, you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, remember we had on the map here where Macedonia was, no church communicated or cared for me, gave me gifts as concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you want, sent once and again unto my necessity. Larry, can you put that picture up there? I want, to, I want you to see something. And remember from Acts chapter 16, as he's turning that on, remember, where was Thessalonica in the sense of time frame from Philippians? Acts chapter 16, remember? We read all of that long chapter, which you said it would never end, but it finally did. And then in, in the next chapter, guess where he went? Go ahead and say the word. Thessalonica. Okay, now see how close it is? Here's Philippi. Boom, boom. There wasn't enough people to even fill a synagogue. And he goes from Philippi, zips over to Thessalonica. And he says in, in Thessalonians, he says, you know what? I didn't want to bother you with any. I didn't, want to, I didn't want to make you pay for anything that I needed. I continue to work hard. And guess who came around the corner and gave a gift? Philippians. Not once, but twice. Look at that close. And that's amazing to me. Just the beginning of that new church body, and they were already a giver, weren't they? 
They were already filled with love. That was one of the things in chapter 1 of Philippians. He says, I want you to be abounding in more love. Thank you, Laramie. Now, you're saying, well, actually, let's keep reading. For even in Thessalonica, you sent once and again unto my necessity. Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. Wow, did you see it? But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. I want to come back to that in a moment. But you're saying, all right, so they probably had some wealthy individuals in this church. I mean, they were a giving church. They had stuff. And they, they were just, they were really, they were giving out of their heart and they were just giving stuff because they like to give stuff and they have stuff to give. Do you guys remember where we were going to go in 2 Corinthians? Because I don't think we went there, did we? Excellent. You guys look totally, I didn't even tell you about 2 Corinthians chapter 8. So let's go there to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I'm going to actually read it on the NLT because it, it's even a little more vivid on today's language and uh, explaining the condition uh, financially of this, of this group of people. So let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and watch this carefully. Now, he's writing to the, to the Corinthians. If, again, Laramie, maybe just, it's always fun. Don't you guys like to see geographically what the Bible is speaking of? Let's throw it back up there. Okay, so here you are at Thessalonica and Philippi. That was in Macedonia. Okay, and see, he came down there into these two churches. Corinth, that's the one we're talking about right here, and Athens. Those were two areas that he would have spent some time as well. So just watch now. And this is in the second letter to the Corinthians, verse 1, chapter 8. Now, I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They are being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor, but they are also filled with abundant joy which has overflowed in rich generosity. Did you see that? You didn't see that. You guys look somber right now. Okay, let's keep going. Verse five, 3. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford. Watch that. I testify they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They even did more than we had hoped, for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to do. So we have urged Titus, who encouraged your giving in the first place, to return to you and encourage you to finish this ministry of giving, since you excel in so many ways in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, your love from us. I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. You know, he was using the churches in Macedonia as, as an example of giving. They didn't have anything. And this is what makes even verse 19 even more powerful, because I want to go back now, giving that. I want you to go now, what his encouragement is to this church. I find it. I'm going to read verse 17 one more time. Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and I abound. I'm full, being received of Epaphroditus, the things which were sent from you, an odor of sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. Watch, watch this. But you're poor. You can't afford this. Watch, verse 19. But my God shall supply all your, not Paul's need. Your, do you see how sometimes we want to take that ourselves? Make sure you keep that in context. That is for someone that is giving beyond the sense of what maybe they should, they feel comfortable in giving. He's saying this, my God supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Not out of his riches, according to his riches. That is so incredible powerful. I can't even, I don't have any more words for that. That verse there is incredible. 
especially in context. Now, we like to snatch that out of there, right? You need something this month? I like to snag that out of there. But my God's going to supply all my need. No, no, it doesn't say that. Your need. Paul is saying everything that you have given, God will supply everything you need according to his riches. Woo! Now, you say, Larry, I don't think you really did give us number five. <laughs> that was a long sentence. So I'm going to ask you now. See, this is, this is, that's a kind of that teacher thing in me that I always like to know. So I've unfolded it for you. I've unpacked it for you. So what would you say number five would be? And even beyond that, yeah, that, that's what Paul is saying. is to, He's going to supply all of your needs. But what made those needs even needed? Listen carefully. Because the Philippians were preoccupied with others first. That's right. They were preoccupied with others first. You want to be contented? Just worry about yourself only. And you will never be content. Why were the Philippians and why was Paul content? He was always preoccupied with others. Look at the, Philipp- look at the book of Philippians. He's talking about joy. The guy's locked up. He's got a, he's got a Roman prisoner. I mean, he, yeah, that's actually very true. I said, he's, he's jailed to a Roman prisoner. Yes. The guy that's chained to Paul is the prisoner because you're going to hear about Jesus for 12 hours. Right? In fact, that's another thing I want to just say again. Some of you have heard it, obviously, but nothing wrong with review. I think this is powerful as he, un- as he ends this letter. Think of this. As Paul goes to Rome under, I'd say, bad circumstances. Can God use you in bad circumstances? Oh, I'm telling you, he can. He can do things that are amazing. In fact, sometimes the worst circumstances bring out the best work that God can can bring. It's crazy. The worst it is, the more powerful you are because it's in your weakness that God can give you strength. Now, this this just excites me, and it's a verse that I've ran over probably a hundred times before it even hit me. Because Paul went under the most extreme circumstances in Rome, not on, a, not on a little trip to just see the city, a scenic trip. Oh, no, 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 no. He's there to plead his case before a really corrupt Roman emperor that ultimately he was killed. But on the way that he was there, and those churches we saw there, in Rome, of which he didn't go to make a church, he was there to be imprisoned. And they even made it worse. They said, not only do we not going to let you, we're going we're to chain somebody to you. Caesar's household, those very people are going to be involved in your life 24-7. Watch. This is not new for a lot of you, but it, it always just stirs my heart. Verse 19 again, but my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Salute every saint. Now, this letter again is going back with Epaphroditus to the the land of Philippi, 800 miles back home. Salute every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren which are with me greet you. All the saints salute you. Chiefly, mainly, they that are of Caesar's household. There are Christians in this corrupt Caesar's household. How do you think that happened? Because terrible circumstances brought Paul there in prison. And you know what? They got saved at the end of a chain because they were chained to a Christian that couldn't keep his mouth shut. And I say double amen, right? That's God using horrible circumstances to change the world the way he wants it to see fit. 
He lo- his, his grace is everywhere. There are people today that God is using in some of the most extreme circumstances that can have contentment, that can have peace, that can have joy because God is actively working to bring others to Him. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. God would that all would come to repentance. He loves everyone. And He wants them to come to Himself. Isn't that unbelievably crazy good? And one more time to review, because I hate to have you guys forget stuff. The five secrets to be content, according to Paul, is number one, is to be completely confident in the providence of God, followed by be satisfied with a little. Number three is independent of circumstances. And number four, Getting infused with the Holy Spirit. In other words, all of the strength and sustainability will come through the power of God, not yourself. If you, if you do anything of yourself, you, you cannot be content. All of your strength, all of your sustainability is completely dependent upon the infusion of the power of God. And number five is be preoccupied with others. Wasn't that just kind of condensed there? Wasn't it? Yeah. To be preoccupied with others. That literally is amazingly that simple. And you say, it's not simple because it's hard to do. That's exactly right. Overarching all of this is the strength of God that takes and powers the inner man is also the strength that will allow you to follow in obedience as he calls you to a life of contentment. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the day. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your care. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you for encouraging us. And Paul, living in some very extreme conditions, was able to use this circumstance to literally elevate, encourage the Philippians, to elevate the name of Jesus Christ, that those that didn't know anything about you got saved. The Father, that you used Paul in such a mighty way in some of the most dire and extreme circumstances we probably can't even comprehend. But thank you, God, for working in our lives. You're the same God today in the year 2020 when we crack into a new decade. You're no less God. You're no less on the throne. You're no less in control. But Father, encourage us as we walk the walk. Help us to instill these five secrets that Paul has, through your spirit, given to us. May they become part of our life. May we just engage and immerse ourselves in you. Thank you for what you're accomplishing. Thank you for what you're doing. We praise your name. We ask also, Father, for the journeys that our individual lives take us. Literally, there, we probably will be thousands of miles, anyone could be, from this place this week. We will come in contact with people we've never seen before, potentially, but they're people you died for, that Jesus died for. You care about them. You love them. May we be open. May our lives stand up to our words. May our testimony show itself. And Father, may you... Allow us to just be a little bit more like Jesus every day. Don't stop making us better. You've loved us so much, you can't help but keep making us more like Christ. Be with us in these coming moments now as we enjoy and are engaged within a time of refreshment and communion. And these things we ask in Christ's name. Amen. For our communion.